Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering, and uh, today I'm. It's my pleasure to welcome Carlton here. He's 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 going to tell us about his PSSD story. Um, I don't. I haven't seen a lot of people, um, you know, talk about their experience with PSSD. So I think it's incredibly important to to have someone like Carlton on, kind of walk us through what happened to him, and then the impact it has on his life. So you know, with that said. Carlton, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to turn it over to you to to give us a brief overview of, of, of what happened to you. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Whitdorn. Uh, it's great to be here today with you. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so let's let's go through how this all began. So my PSSD story, um, it began when I was around, well, I was put on the medication when I was 15. Uh, not the same reason as most people, obviously antidepressant medications are usually de- uh, prescribed for depression, anxiety, uh, but I was going through bad, uh, IBSD when I was in high school and, um, IBSD, yeah. could you spell that one out for the audience? Yeah. It's uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I was struggling with that. So I was, uh, I went to the GP and uh, I then went to, I was referred to a gastroenterologist mm-hmm. and this is where I acquired the medication, which was nortriptyline. Um, and he said, yeah, this is, this is often used in IBS treatment. This should work and this should help with your symptoms. So obviously uh, you know, being 15 at the time, I just believed in the power of medicine, you know, like this is going to work, this is going to be fine. And I took the medication and um, I stayed on it for quite a few years. So I was on it for about seven, eight years, I'd probably say. And uh, yeah, I was never really, yeah, it was just every day, like it was just a regular day thing. So I take it every day before I go to bed once. And then, yeah, I was never really monitored like by the GP, um, just, I just stay on it chronically. And now looking back, that's probably like not a great indicator of how this has occurred. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, um, when I started to notice was when I, so I got a call from my GP last year. I just turned, I was 24 at the time and I'm turning 25 next month. Um, but yeah, so he gave me a call and he said, look, Carlton, you've been on this drug for a while. You've been on it for years and it's probably not aiding you anymore. So what we want to do is we want to get you off of it. And I said, yeah, that's fine. It's probably time to just get off this drug and just live without it. So, but at the same time, he, um, he said that the drug would be getting discontinued by the NHS, which is, um, so he said, he, he said, um, oh, okay, well, what I'm going to do, Carlton, is I'm going to, I'm going to switch you. I'm going to switch you to a different drug and then we'll wean you off that way. So um, without tapering me at all off the drug, he switched me to uh, amitriptyline, which is another uh, tricyclic antidepressant, which is uh, also used in irritable bowel syndrome treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that he he prescribed me a one month uh, course of that medication and uh, I basically, without any tapering guidance, kind of weaned myself off over the case of one month. And uh, it wasn't short, 
sure, uh, soon afterwards that I started to um, notice uh, PSSD symptoms. So that's that's cool. interesting. Yeah. So, um, so tell us what were the PSSD symptoms that you noticed? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, the first was probably what most people uh, encounter. It was the um, uh, genital numbing. So, uh, for the last year, I've had absolutely no erogenous sensation in my uh, penile glands at all. Uh, it's been like this for a year now. So that was probably the first symptom that I noticed overall. And because uh, I was just thinking, like, why is it? Why does it feel like rubber? You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like rubber now. It's got no. I've got no pleasure at all. And then I, I obviously noticed it when I was masturbating and. Um, mm. You know, you, you, I was just thinking, why does this not feel pleasurable anymore? Like, what what's happened? You know what I mean? And that that was a big shock. And um, at the same time, that's when I noticed as well that I, I, I was dealing with severe um, erectile dysfunction. Um, so I could obtain an erection, and then um, within about thirty seconds, it would just like it would go completely. So yeah, um, those are two symptoms. And then obviously I also had, I also noticed premature ejaculation for the first time in my life. I'd never had premature ejaculation uh, before tapering off the medication. Uh, that was all new to me and that was a shock. And um, yeah, those were the first symptoms I started to notice. And then- um, I was going to ask just quickly, when you say it felt like rubber, I mean, I mean, is it, I mean, would you say, you know, the, like the, the, the penile glands, it just kind of feel like when you say no erogenous sensation, is it, is it like you're touching your forearm or like the back of your elbow where there's not a lot of sensation or is it even different from that? Because there's a difference between, I guess, your, your normal somatic sensation and then, like you said, that erogenous sensation, yeah. you know, which is down in the genital area and leads to sexual pleasure and such. So I was just wondering if you could, you know, it, it, was it like any other kind of touch on the body? That's a good question. Um, I, I would say probably, yeah, it does just kind of feel like the back of your hand. Like, uh, mm -hmm. or, well, it's just, you, you've got nothing. Like you, you touch it, you're touching the most sensitive part of your body, your penile glands. And it's just like, yeah. you just can't feel anything. Like, it's just, it's just there. It's just, yeah, there's like, it's like a sponge. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a spongy effect. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you just, okay. Yeah, you just can't just can't feel anything at all. It's just, it's really weird. It's a really strange sensation to like have to go through. I'd say, mm -hmm. yeah, just, yeah. I'd say the back well, of my hand. Great. Just, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Sorry. I interrupted you uh, for that. No, so please go on with your train of thought if, if it's still there. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'd probably say that's, that's about yeah. it. Yeah, it's just, you just don't feel anything like mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's just, it's just nothing at all. Like, no original sensation at all no like no pleasure like just no pleasure at all okay and and i guess um um how, how roughly how long after you tapered yourself off amitriptyline did you notice this was this something that happened you know two weeks after the last pill or was it something that happened when you went down like what, what, what was the timing like for you when, when you first noticed it? Uh, I would probably say like maybe a few weeks. So maybe like two or three weeks it took to probably like notice everything. Maybe I was a bit oblivious at first, I think. Like, 
yeah, maybe I just didn't realize it first at all. And I just thought everything was normal. But then like, yeah, I'd probably say over the course of two to three weeks is when I really started to notice the symptoms like begin from, yeah. And, and, um, you know, while you were on the nortriptyline and the amitriptyline, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on that time, you know, uh, you know, I'm assuming masturbation was kind of normal, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It wasn't, it, it wasn't challenging to maintain an erection in the same way that it was now. I just, could you speak to that? Did you feel like when you were on the medications that it was, you know, mostly normal, maybe there was a little bit of, a, you know, a little bit of that normal kind of sexual dysfunction that is very typical with the antidepressants, but, you know, not, nothing severe yet. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think probably it was mainly just normal. I'd say like, I would, I would probably describe it as just normal, like overall, maybe there was like, you say like mild, like, but I don't think it was severe enough for me to really like notice, you know, like to take <laughs> like a real attention to it. Like there might've been a slight sexual dysfunction, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for me to say, like for me to really realize that. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And, um, Okay. So, okay. So you come off the medication, you start noticing that you have abnormal sensation in the genital region and then also difficulty maintaining an erection and reaching, um, I guess, orgasm. What other symptoms did you you notice? Well, it was just like, it's just, I think it's, um, so when I'm like outside and like I'm interacting with um, attractive women, Mm-hmm. Like I didn't notice that there wasn't like as much as a, like a response cycle. So like I could speak to a, like a girl I really liked, but there would just be no like response whatsoever. Like, like just overall, like I just got no like feelings of like, like uh passion and like attraction. And yeah, that, mm-hmm. that was probably the most worrying like aspect of it because I was thinking like, what, what, what has happened here? You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not so much that you just suddenly go from like really like being like really attracted to people you like. And then suddenly it's just like, Oh, these people are nice, but I'm just kind of here. You know what I mean? Like I'm not getting anything from it. It's like that sense has been kind of cut off. And I I, want to ask as well, um, aside from that happening in person, when you're interacting with someone that you find attractive, did, did you notice the same thing with say, you know, pornographic material, you know, was it, you know, were you looking at it and just, again, having that distance where it's like, this is not arousing in the, mm. you know, in the same way it used to be. I was curious about that, like the different yeah, yeah. settings. Yeah. It's really interesting that, cause I feel like at first it was like that, but I feel maybe within the last few months, it has gotten a slight, a bit better. So to the point of where sometimes I can look at like pornographic material and like, mm-hmm. At first, I noticed that I couldn't achieve an erection without like self-stimulating myself. Mm-hmm. Like that was how it went at first. But as the time's gone on over the past year, I have realized that now, like I have gotten a little bit of that back. So like I have noticed that recently I have been able to like have an erection just looking at material. So mm-hmm. that probably has improved. But apart from that, it it's not all the time. So like sometimes it'll like occur, but sometimes it won't. So it's very off and on. And like, I've also noticed that I can like sometimes on 
things that uh, like foods I eat or something or drinks, like if I consume caffeine or alcohol, for, some, for example, uh, that response kind of like diminishes. So it's, it's really like interesting. I don't Dim- know diminishes the, the, uh, the, like diminishes you, your ability to, you know, have a normal erection or it makes it harder. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. just like the whole arousal thing. Like yeah. sometimes like notice that it's like, it's not like, it's harder to get aroused after those kind of things, which I found really perplexing. Okay. Um, so more, yeah, more sensitive um, to those yeah. things in that way. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, another thing is, Often people in the PSSD community, sometimes they describe uh, feelings, uh, I, get, I guess, effects outside of just uh, sexual effects. You know, they may be, you know, emotional or cognitive and, and, and different types of things. Did you, did you experience any, any changes, I guess, outside of the ones that you've already described? Um, it's like cognitive function. Um, I'd say mainly it's just, I have heard of the cognitive symptoms, um, but mm-hmm. I would say I probably just like developed like apathy towards the whole situation. I wouldn't say that it was exactly like I had any like bad cognitive dysfunction. Like some mm-hmm. people have reported, for example, like not being um, able to concentrate on certain things and things like that. So I wouldn't say that I've really struggled with that, but I think it's mainly just apathy. So like I developed like just apathy towards the whole situation that I was in like regarding like the sexual dysfunction, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. So like, yeah. So like, that's probably just more emotional based. Like I was getting like quite angry and like, like upset as mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say. Yeah. And um, as time has gone on, I know you mentioned that um, achieving an erection uh, without manual stimulation has, has sort of come back. Yeah. Do you notice any change in the level of numbing down there? Um, or has that stayed persistent for the last year? Uh, that's just stayed constant this last year. I'd say uh, like there's just been no change whatsoever in the genital numbing effect, which, yeah, that's, mm, no, yeah, no, no changes there, unfortunately. Okay. Um, you know, going back to the cognitive stuff, I mean, um, do you still, um, you know, you mentioned apathy towards the situation, but are you having any problems with, um, I guess, apathy towards life in general, in, in general feeling like, you know, lacking motivation or lacking, you know, feeling like it's difficult to connect with other people or care about them or, you know, those, you know, I'm trying to imagine what I imagine kind of an apathetic state, how that might go out into other things that you do um, in your life. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Uh, that's a great point because I think uh, one of the, one of the struggles with PSSD is, is that you can't escape it. So um, for example, uh, so if I'm going to, like my classes, for example, my university classes, like it's just like the problem is you can't escape the condition. It follows you everywhere. So for example, like for the first six months of my like university term, um, like that began in September, I had to like walk past like a, like my student union and it had like a big banner on it saying, let's talk about sex. And like, that was just, that was brutal from the get go. So it's like, 
I think the thing is with PSSD is that you develop apathy because the condition follows you around everywhere you go. So it's like, say, for example, I'm like, okay, well, I'll listen to like, oh, a new songs come out by uh, my a, a singer I like. And then the songs about like love and romance and things like that. I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. Well, what am I going to do now? Or, oh, I'll watch TV. You know what I mean? And then I'll go and watch TV and then, the the show will proceed to have romance scenes and sex scenes and i'm like okay well not doing that what else should i do now and then i'll say okay well I'll go out and hang out with my friends and then my friends the conversations i'll have the, with them is like they'll strictly be like oh how's your dating life going and uh, oh yeah i'm seeing this person that's great and it's like you just can't escape it wherever you go i think that's probably the apathy that you develop because it follows you around anywhere. It's like, you can't escape. You can't escape PSSD. You know, it just follows you around wherever you go. That was, that was really nicely said um, and and really insightful. Um, I want to, I want to stay on that point. If that's okay. Tell us about how this has affected your life uh, over the last year. Um, Well, it's a good question. Well, I'd say Mm -hmm. like, for the majority of sufferers, I'd say, well, it's pretty much ruined our lives, really. Like, like we don't like I'm 25 years old and I'm I'm thinking like how how am I going to keep a relationship? You know, like I really, really want one. I'd love a girlfriend. Um, I'd love a supportive partner and I'd like to get married. That's my goal, and I'd love to have kids. But with PSSD, it's like we have to like I have to face up to the reality that this is going to be difficult and that's really difficult to accept every day, I think. And I think that's probably where it affects you the most, because I think the thing is with PSSD, we're all normal people. You know, we have normal lives. We want, we want normal lives. We want love, we want romance and we want kids and, you know, wives and husbands, you know, we, you know, that's, that's probably the way I would say it. I'd say we just, we want to be, we want our bodies to go back to the way they were and, you know, and having to wake up every day in this body and face the world is, it can be really challenging because we just, you know, we just, we just want to go back to the way we were. And yeah, I'd say that's probably the most apathetic part of the condition is that we, we long to have something, you know, we long to have what we had before the meds basically that's the way i you know and i have i have been on your youtube channel i know you know i've told you this before and and you talk about like um i guess the challenges well well i guess yeah the the, the challenges uh you know dating and and all of those things and i and i and i and i imagine that you know if i if i were in a position where something like this happened to me uh, you know, you'd you'd worry about feeling inadequate in a relationship, even though it's nothing that you've done before. But you'd feel like, uh, I think you say you say, you say it quite well. You know, you you you, you would want to be able to do those things with your partner, and it's quite hard to to kind of accept that you may not be able to fulfill them in that way, and how that how that yeah. can weigh on you um, and your self esteem. I'd say so, yeah, because at the end of the day, you just if you're in love with someone, you just really want to like be there for them and you want to give them the best possible experience in a relationship. I'd probably say that's the way I would see it. Like, you know, if I was desperately in, in love with someone, I would just want to give them everything, you know, like I'd want to 
give them all of me just because that's the way that's just how in love you are with somebody you know you 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 just want the best for them at the end of the day and i think that's a great point you make because i think that's a a good point about like how we we would probably feel because we would feel that like inadequate probably like would feel scared probably like about like we, we wouldn't want any relationship to end because of this you know what i mean like we just we we just want to have a normal life you know we just want to have a normal relationship we don't want to have to struggle uh, with this condition you know because we, none of us asked for this at the end of the day like we just we just want to be we just want to have a normal relationship like i didn't like when i took the meds at 15 years old like i didn't know that i was signing off my rights to have like romance for like the rest of my life like if i'd known that i would have just been like please no i don't want this you know like n- none of us would want this at the end of the day and that's i think that's probably the the main point i'd say yeah yeah i mean it's um this i mean there's a lot of a lot of interesting threads to kind of discuss there um i I guess the the thing that is interesting at the moment is that PSSD has recently, well, I guess the first point is um, it's, it's, there are some people where it seems to go on for decades. You know, I have, I've seen that and I have read about that, but there are a lot of people who recover and, and fairly quickly. And um, you know, you might reach 18 months and, and have a different story to tell at that time. And we don't know. So so you got you. You need to maintain hope that you can recover because that does that does occur. And I've read a lot of stories about that. Um, the yeah. other thing that I th- <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the main task. I think we, we have to stay positive. You know, it's all we've got at this point. You know, like I think that's a big issue. Like in the community, like we we kind of like when whenever we find out something, we we latch onto it because. All we want is hope at the end of the day. We want hope. So when we see like, oh, there's a new, say like risk put up a new post. So like oh, CCM testing um, to try and find out if it's small fiber neuropathy, you know, if we're, mm-hmm. if we're dealing with this. When we read this, we latch onto hope and we think, okay, well, this this is what PSSD might be. And then when we read things about, oh, kispeptin, you know, kispeptin's in trial for libido and uh hyposexual desire disorder. Uh, oh, can this be used in PSSD? And, um, you know, parenzepine for the small, small fiber neuropathy as well. Can this help with genital numbing? It's like, we kind of like, we're desperate for anything at this, this point. Like, you know, when we get any news of anything, it just, yeah, I think we, we probably just react. Like we, we just want like, I don't know. We just want help. You know, we just want to be acknowledged sure. and and get yeah, and just get some treatment for this. I'd say, you know, and speaking about the you know acknowledgement, something that's really interesting is that the EU put it in all of the antidepressant labels, which is which is great, and um, the Health Canada put in a watered down warning as well. I mean, it's still in there, but with very very weak causal language, but at least yeah. it's in there as an important risk. Yeah. Um, the FDA, though, in the US, in the biggest market in the world, it is still not there. And I think that discrepancy is really is really interesting because from my perspective, I mean, there, there are a couple things out there which 
really made me re- rethink antidepressants because you, know, you may not be aware of this, Carlton, but the US is, I think, one of the only countries out there. Well, actually, I won't say that because I haven't looked at that many, but I know compared to the EU and uh, I think Canada or Britain, mm. the US recommends antidepressants as a first-line treatment for depression. If you go to the EU or you go to um, the UK, they recommend psychotherapy. And mm. the fact and, and, and when you have a drug that could potentially cause sexual dysfunction lasting years and it's completely random, you know, there's no way to predict who this is going to happen to, you know, and let's, and, and we, you know, I'm pulling numbers out of thin air, but let's just say that it happens to, I'm going to choose a very conservative number. Let, let's say it happens to one in 500 people or something like that. Mm. When 10% of your population is taking these medications and that's what's happening in the U S these days. That is massive. You know, that is, um, uh, that it is a huge amount of people who may be getting injured by this. And the fact yeah. that this is not in the label, yeah. I think is, it is, is horrendous because I think if doctors saw this in the label, and if the doctors knew this about it, they would not be recommending antidepressants to first line treatment and a lot of problems, uh, would be avoided. I think so. Yeah. But I think like, a problem is as well, like you say that um, the EU have now put it in the packaging and like you say, it's very, very like discreet. So like it might say, okay, you can get some lowered libido, you can get some uh, erectile dysfunction, but you know, that's, that's nothing to what PSSD is like, you know, they really should put like, I, I don't know how they haven't put about your genitals going numb in the packaging. Like, you know, the first record of that, I found was 2007. It's been in the medical literature since 2007 about genitals going numb. So how can we be 15 years later and that's still not in on the packaging, like when it's happening to an alarming number of people? I just don't understand personally, like why that's not on the packaging personally. It's it's interesting. And I think about this as well. I mean, they, you know, there's, there's, there's so much talk about, about, you know, we don't want to, stigmatize mental illness you know we don't want to you know and by that i mean you know that's translated into we don't want to overemphasize the risk of the drugs because we're going to scare away people who really need treatment and mm. while that makes sense in some way in other ways it, it absolutely makes no sense at all because i mean really what you owe a person is a full understanding of the risks and yeah. And let's say someone comes in with mild depression and you tell them these things and they go, well, I don't think they feel stigmatized about it. They would feel like well, they wouldn't feel you're stigmatizing their mental illness. They'd say, you know, thank you for helping me make an informed decision. You know what? I think I'm going to persist a little longer. But then you might have someone that comes in who is so severely depressed, they're bed bound and they'll say, well, thank you for letting me know that risk. I'd like to proceed anyway. So really what it does, you know, information facilitates better conversations between, you know, healthcare providers and the patients to make the choices that are right for them. Because even with this risk, there may be a population of people that will choose to accept it based on their individual circumstances. Um, it's always a possibility, but, you know, to, to water down the risk, to put it in weak language, to kind of hide it. I, I don't think that really serves doctors or serves patients at all. I mean, it, I think it serves drug companies. You know, I think it helps avoid a lot of uncomfortable conversations about why they don't have any 
proper risk mitigation measures in place or why they haven't run any research to figure out what you know who is actually at risk of this side effect you know because yeah. all of that costs money and then they would have to fork out the money or come up with some kind of plan um yeah. so yeah yeah that's uh, i mean that, and then and then the next question is you know why and and this is interesting you have a risk that is so that would be so important to someone especially if you're demographic you know you're a young man you're in your 20s or and this even happened when you're in your teens i mean how was this risk you know not sent out to every single family medicine doctor and every single psychiatrist in the eu when it was recognized in the labeling i mean yeah. to me it rises to the level of importance where that level of risk mitigation would have been warranted because you know they put it in the label and people might not read the updated label and, yeah. and you know drug regulators pharmaceutical companies they have the power to say we're going to send this out to every single family medicine doctor every single obgyn every single psychiatrist with information about this so they know it's in there immediately we're going to present a symposia on this at the next you know american psychiatric association like e ema equivalent but they but they haven't done these things and 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 to me that's just I mean, that's just shocking. It almost feels like they're putting it in there to cover their ass, but not really wanting to to get the message out there about something that is so serious. Yeah, true. And, you know, it's like it the, the drugs are used for not just that, they're being used for lots of other conditions as well. I know um, of people who have been on it for like premenstrual syndrome and they've had now PSSD for eight years and they say it's ruined the relationship with their partner completely. So yeah, I just think with the amount of um, things that antidepressants are being used for these days, you would think that they would be more aware of what can happen. And especially like when, you know, the prevalence that it's getting on social media now as well, like, um, like the PSSD network as well, they're getting a lot of uh, traction on TikTok, for example. And people are just now, finding this account and they're now realizing that they have the condition like you go on to tiktok and you watch the videos and people comment on there young people comment on there saying things like oh so that's why i'm asexual now or you know i've been on ssris for a decade and and now i think i'm asexual and then you know, stuff like that um then they're asking questions here of which they weren't told which could happen and i just I agree. Like, I just don't, I just don't know how this has happened at all. Like they just like, people are just now realizing, you know, they're going onto these social medias and like they're clicking. Oh, I think this might've happened to me. Yeah. And I mean, you've kind of, um, like why you know, should it by social media? That's crazy. I, I mean, the, you, you, the PSSD network is like a, you know, a risk mitigation arm of a pharmaceutical company. They're, they're doing the job of the drug companies, getting the information out there. It's all volunteers. It's all people spending their time to, to you know, when there's, you know, there's fully resourced companies out there that could probably do this with, you know, incredible reach. But it's not just in PSSD. I see this with the benzo problems, with the severe yeah. withdrawal issues, and also with the severe withdrawal issues for the antidepressants. It's just, it's, it's crazy how little mis risk mitigation is going on for something that's so prevalent. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really interesting there, and it kind of ties into a cultural thing going on at the moment. And, you know, not, not to diminish that there, you know, there, there is a lot more talk about 
gender identity, sexual orientation, and things like that these days than, than, than they used to be. And, and it's true, the world may be a more accepting place for these things to come out. But I yeah. don't think you can overlook the fact that, you know, with, with 10% of the American population and probably something similar in the EMA in the UK, that, you know, a drug that could effectively blunt someone's, um, you know, the, the, those sexual feelings that they're having could have huge consequences for the way someone sees their identity and their sexual identity and all of these things. Um, and it yeah, would yeah. be so confusing for people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's like, you know, because I had like, was on the drug for years and mm-hmm. um, I was on the drug for years, but, you know, I was still very like sexually, like I, I was in touch with my sexuality, still on the drugs. So for that reason, you know that, you know, your orientation when you've been on there for, you know, for years and you've experienced like feelings of sexual attraction for, you know, the opposite sex or the same sex, for example, like, but, you know, some, some of these, um, you know, children now that are being put on SSRIs, you know, and uh, other drugs like that, like um, finasteride and isotretinoin, for example, you know, some of these people that are being put on these drugs, especially like children, you know, they could grow up without knowing that you know, what, what that feels like, you know, I'm, I, I'm quite lucky in the sense that, you know, I grew up whilst on them and I still had it, you know, I could still identify as, oh yes, I'm straight, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But people now are now growing up and they might not know. So this is hugely concerning, I think, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one factor that could definitely weigh on that, on your level to understand those things about yourself, which is so important, especially when you're young and your, your identity is really you know, being questioned. So, yeah, I gosh, think so. yeah. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to say, you know, which we haven't touched on, mm. you know, the most compelling thing about uh, Carlton's story is, you know, it's 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 not that there was difficulty maintaining an erection or reaching orgasm. It's it's the fact that he had genital numbness. Now, there is no condition that I know of apart, you know, that that commonly causes someone's genital region to feel like the back of their hand, you know, you cannot have that with blood pressure problems. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, and, and that's the most unique thing It's probably the most unique symptom about PSSD, which really makes it st- stick out. You know, you have people there who are so numb in their genitals that they literally feel nothing. I know David Healy talks about a clinical, um, he has a story from a, a someone who reached out to him about, you know, they've put like a like a like a spicy powder on their genitals to to even see if that would register, and there was nothing. And 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 so that is that's 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 the thing that really sticks out that really makes this what I think a totally valid and worthwhile adverse reaction. I mean, it, it's it's very difficult to explain that away. I, I can't think of an alternative explanation for something like that happening, and it's just occurring with such frequency in in people who are having problems just as yours. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I think the, the main worry for me is, is that, you know, we've had reports of this syndrome since the 1990s. You know, it was mm-hmm. first reported in the 1990s. But with the drugs that I was on, the tricyclic antidepressants, you know, that's just proved that we can get PSSD from those. And those were FDA approved in the 1960s. So we have to be honest and say, like, 
before the times of the internet, I'm I'm personally worried for like the people that might have gotten PSSD before the internet because what what would have happened then? You know, they might have gone along because they would only have their doctors. Like, there's no there would be no forums back then for this problem if people were having sexual difficulties on the tricyclics when they first came out in the 60s. So I, I sometimes think to myself, like, I'm very worried to think about how many people might have been lost to PSSD before the internet was a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking. I'm trying to think about, you know, wh- what would have happened to you back in the day if that happened? My, 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 my best guess is that, you know, maybe you would end up in a seeing some kind of sexual therapist or sexual counsellor pursuing yeah. a type of treatment that really wasn't suited, you know, for the condition you had, you know, talking about, you know, maybe psychological things that really aren't playing that big of a deal. You're investing a lot of money into it. You feel like, and, you, and you're just looking for, you know, you, it's, it's been misdiagnosed and you're just losing your resources following these treatments that, you know, that don't really help when, when someone maybe just should say, you know, hang on day by day, you know, it's likely it's going to get better over the long run and just hang in there. And it's real. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and it's just something that's happened to you. You know, they get they would have been sold a, a totally different story, which probably, you know, I, it would have just wrecked havoc on their on 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 their life and their understanding of who who they were and their sexuality and all of that. It's I think that's good that you thought you, you're thinking about that because I am too, and it, I, it it's pretty grim. You know, marriages as well, like how many marriages have been affected by this? How many marriages have ended because of this? And like mm-hmm. you say, they went to be, they would have been referred to like a, a counselor or something, which you know that wouldn't that wouldn't have helped at all if it's a drug induced injury. So I'm also worried about how many marriages might have been affected by this as well. You know, and we're talking about marriages that might have been 10, 15 years, you know, like they might have had yeah. like active, active sex lives all that time. And then of course, suddenly you might start on a antidepressant or another drug, and then you know, you lose your libido and your function and then the marriage might suffer as a result of that so that's another huge thing we have to think about and think how many marriages have been affected by this mm-hmm. well you know carlton I'm, I'm i'm about out of questions I'm, i mean uh nothing's coming to my mind at the moment but it, w- was there anything else that you wanted to talk about um that you think is really important to get out mm. well i think you know I, the one thing I just want to say is for the, and this is just like to go forward with this whole PSSD thing, because I think we are making strides now just in the media, you know, we've had like a lot of articles in the last year and, you know, there is hope out there because, you know, with these treatments that are now being, um, you know, they're now coming out there about um, neuropathy, perhaps CCM testing, you know, we do have hope. So, I think the one thing I would just say is we need to, you know, since the first record of this being in the 1990s, um, you know, I think this has gone on long enough now. I think it's time to open up and I think it's time to really get the message out there that we're not accepting this anymore. And, um, you know, we need help from, we can't do this alone because of the, the thing is, is that the, the funding for the treatments are all patient, um, all the patients donate to it. So Mel Cagney's study in uh, the University of Milan, for example, that's all patient funded. So we can't do this on our own. We need help here from the medical industry. And this is exactly why I'm here with you today, 
um, to just try and get this out there. Really, you know, we need to we need support, and um, I think yeah, I think we've just got to talk about this because if we don't talk about this, then we risk another thirty years down the line where we're still. I don't know, like we're still battling and saying like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Rather than getting a real treatment, you know, we really, we need a real treatment. So it's time to open up about this and talk. That's excellent. Great. Great. And one more thing I want to ask, and it's really mainly just for the record, you know, but it's apart from the IBS, did you have any other medical conditions um, when all of this was going on? Uh, no, not really. No, I'd okay. say that. And were you taking any other medications? Well, this is the thing, like, for the IBS, they had me on, like, quite a few medications, like, jerked up completely. Like, I was on um, a Beverine, for example, and uh, I was on opiates, like codeine phosphate for a lot of years as well. So I was really okay. pumped full of drugs back then as well, which lasted for many years. But when it's when the PSSD started, you know, a few weeks afterwards, and and went on, we are you still were you still taking other medications throughout that period? Yeah, some, yeah. Okay, yeah. And what what were they? Uh, they were mebeverine. Mebeverine. Okay, perfect. Okay, um, send people my way, Garden. If other people want to talk about this, I'm going to do everything I can to you know promote these videos and. And put out more content like this so people can come and they can hear what it's like, you know, and, yeah. and really see what the condition is. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you and the PSSD network. Um, I think the yeah. one thing is just like, the one thing is like with PSSD, it feels like my life is on the up because um, in, in a way, because in one way, because like I'm, I'm achieving in life. I'm finally like, I'm going to study abroad in Japan next year, which is cool. I'm looking forward to that. So like the thing is with PSSD, it's like there's parts of my life, which is like, it's good. But then this just completely like overshadows it completely. So it's like, you've got one half of like, you might be achieving in life, but then you've got the other part part of it's like where this just weighs you down completely. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Colin, thanks again. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, and thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.